Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who was a two-time first-round draft pick. First, he was selected by the Washington Capitals in 1997, but after they could not come to terms, he re- returned to his junior club, the OHL's Ottawa 67s, where he capped his time there with a Memorial Cup title and the Stratford Smythe Memorial Trophy as the tournament's MVP. He re-entered the draft and was again a first-round selection, this time going to the Bruins. Here in rave reviews, for his physical presence, offensive capabilities, his first full season with the Bruins, and over the course of the next two seasons saw his offensive totals increase and took part in his first NHL All-Star game in 2004. He was a member of the 2010 Blackhawks, who captured the club's first Stanley Cup championship since 1961. 605 NHL games, 11 seasons in the NHL. From the outside, you would think that's a pretty good career. His article this month on the Players' Tribune paints a very different picture. We are thrilled to welcome 2010 Stanley Stanley Cup champion Nick Boynton to WLIE 540M Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Nick. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. You know, it's absolutely our pleasure. And, you know, for viewers of our and listeners of our program, they know what a diehard hockey fan I am. You know, not only do I cover it and, and go to, right. the, you know, cover the games, but, you know, I love the game. And, and reading this article on the Players' Tribune really makes me re-examine the way I look at the game. So, Nick, the title of the article says it all. Everything's not okay. The article really grabs you from the very start. And for those of you who have not read it, you know, yes. bear with me because I'm going to read a little bit of it right now. I've thought about death a lot over the last few years, about dying, what it might be like if I wasn't around. I've struggled a ton since I retired from hockey in 2011. I faced a bunch of different personal demons, but recently I've been unable to shake the thoughts of Steve Matador, Wade Belock, Derek Bugard, Rick Rippon. I know those guys. They were real people to me. They played the same game I did, and when it was all said and done, they were really just suffering, man. They struggled with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and just pain. All the things I've been dealing with. They went through some of the exact same stuff, and now I talk about them in the past tense. How were they my, how they were my friends and how they used to be my brothers, they're just gone. And the more I think about them and how their lives ended up, the more worried I get. Because I see a lot of myself in those guys. I really do, and I wonder if I might be next. You know, after reading that, I realize you're 39 years old. You have four children. To be thinking about death is just, you know, I can't wrap my head around it. And as much as that grabbed me, you know, can you put into words you know, living with that at 39 years old with four children? Well, not really. That's, that's part of the reason I had to write it down. It, it, it's just, you know, stuff's been getting worse and worse. Um, and, you know, the treatment from the league has... Just nothing has helped. I mean, the league's saying, you know, go to rehab. And I've been to rehab a few times, and there's still something there. They don't have – they're just not on board, whether they're – well, they're denying it. They think this is going to be a huge problem for the league, the concussions and the CTE. So they're denying guys treatment, and guys are dying. And I've learned more about my condition – from former teammate of mine, Dan Carcillo, and him getting me help over the last six months than any doctor 
I've worked with at our, our union or at the league. There's just nothing being done at that level. And in my view, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching the NHL. That's what we all do. We want to play in the NHL. We want to, you know, we look up or we look, you know, look up to the to the players. And the guys just aren't being taken care of. And the NHL and the players union has to change. Has to change the culture because otherwise, kids and and families look up to them, and the game's just going to continue doing this and really hurting and injuring people. And something's got to change. Nick, this is AJ Card. You take a look at what happened to friends of yours, and that's affected you deeply, and see what the league, the NHL is not doing. Do you also take a look and see what's going on in the National Football League? Uh, do, you, do you relate to what's going on there? How do you take a look at your case, what's going on there, compared to what's happening with football now? Yeah, well, football's <laughs> crazy to me. Um, no guaranteed contracts. Those guys, it, it just blows my mind how, you know, dangerous that sport is uh, it, this is just it, it's a very scary thing and it, it's not something that you can just look at somebody and diagnose it this is you know it's a very specialized thing head injuries do different things to different people um and i just think hockey and football are obviously the two major physical sports and, and hockey's doing nothing they're just they're just not even talking about it. They're not doing anything. They're not supporting their players. They don't have a plan. And and that's not good enough. It's not good enough for, you know, the guys who have come, come before me. But I, I'm worried about, you know, nobody else having to go through this kind of thing. So I, I'm worried about the kids playing the game today. It's interesting because you also mentioned that uh, in the article, in addition to the thoughts of dying, there's always been another thought that would keep breaking into your mind that would overtake all the really dark stuff, and that was if you had died now without speaking up or saying anything, what good would that do? And that was the impetus for this article, which you state is your story. And, and you go on to say the full story, warts and all, in the hopes that maybe you will say, you know, your say will help someone down the line. Let's start with the title, Everything's Not Okay. You mentioned that you got tired of people telling you that everything's okay tell us a little bit more about that well yeah it's that and just the constant lying to you know yourself and and other people i, I mean it's the day-to-day -day interactions you know where hey how you doing <laughs> and it just it got to me I, I wasn't doing good it was so difficult to just go along with it and i mean my family my, my family my wife my kids they're they're going through this with me and this has been terrible for for all of them um and to be quite honest i i'm shocked at the the overwhelming support i've received but i'm so happy i got this story out there because it speaks to so many different people you, you know across so many aspects of uh, of life and you know, I know I'm helping people, but there's just there's a lot more that needs to be done. You know, you state the the story of your professional hockey career isn't a pretty one. It's overflowing with highlight real. It's not overflowing with highlight reel goals or big game hat tricks. For the 11 years I played in the NHL between 2000 and 2011, I was mainly known as a tough guy. I was a fighter, a thug, someone you wouldn't want to mess with unless you were looking to get punched in the face. But let me be more specific. You want to know how I played the game? I tried to hurt people. That's what I was there for. A lot of people don't want to hear it, but it's the honest truth. So yes, for instance, I would try to injure you if it was the difference between winning and losing a hockey game. I'd do whatever was asked of me. 
And it's interesting because any hockey fan or even, a, you know, someone that's just a, 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 someone that, you know, turns on the game and watch the Caps march to the Stanley Cup and watch Tom Wilson's game of rage through the NHL playoffs, which ultimately led the Capitals to the Stanley Cup and watch Wilson handing out headshot after headshot as often as Donald Trump would tweet. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this as well. And this is where this might have changed my mindset because you, you kind of lay that off as, well, that's playoff hockey. You know, um, so while there have been strides in the equipment and, and ways to prevent, you know, the headshots, seven years after you retired, it's still pretty much the same. Should right. the NHL be more concerned about player safety? You know, there's been committees, there's been all sorts of things, but yet seven years later after you've retired, it, it's still the same. Yeah, absolutely. They, they should be. And considering the result of head trauma can lead to death, I, I think that would uh, that would be one of the first things they'd be doing. And excuse me, and they they take a hard line on this stuff. And like what I'm, you know, I was part of the problem. Tom Wilson, he's doing his job. He's he's doing what he's told to, and that's what's got to change. Like we need to, right from the top to the bottom, this the whole concept the whole culture of the game has to change because it is not worth your life to win a hockey game when you say culture see that's the interesting thing and and i think you're right i think the nhl not that they specifically market that way but if you go on social media and you know hockey's got a niche audience but we love the game and we're rabid about the game and what you'll see is LeBron James gets hit in the face with a basketball and he goes down, he's writhing in pain, and you'll see it juxtaposed to a video of a hockey player taking a puck to the face, losing teeth, picking up his teeth, going to the bench, you know, and, and taking his next shift. And we celebrate that as that's a hockey player. Um, same thing, taking that big hit. So how in the media can we, we change that dialogue to be, hey, you know, it's okay to go and to the locker room and say, you know, I can't go another shift. Well, that's part of, you know, part of the problem. And the NHL, they, they allow basically their players to diagnose themselves after injuries. If the guys can go back in, they go back in. That's got to stop. This, the, the decision has to be taken out of the players' hands. That's the bottom line. You know, I, I appreciate and I respect the fact that the guys want to go back in. But when your brain scrambled, you go back in there, you're half a second slow. That's where major injury starts. And the trainers, the doctors, the players, you know, that's Dan Carcillo and myself. I'm, I'm telling my story, trying to get it out there because this stuff really affects you. And you know what? If you ask a player whether he's going to go back in the game or not, obviously he's going to go back in the game. You've got to take that decision out. They have to be smarter, so much smarter, and stop ignoring it. There's a, there's a devil's advocate type question saying, you know, it's called you know, assuming the risk, you know, professional risk, mm -hmm. not what it is. When you start playing the game, and, and hockey yep. players traditionally start playing organized, real organized hockey very, very young, uh, is there anybody, do you know, say, okay, to say, this could happen to me 20 years down the road? You know, nobody tells you that. Do you think, one, that obviously nobody told you way back when, but do you think, has that changed at all now? Are players entering, you know, Peewee, junior, whatever hockey is they move up, made aware of the fact that there are risks of this type, long-term risks. 
I think at the lower levels, at the, at the minor hockey leagues, they're doing a much better job. Um, but the problem is everybody wants to play in the NHL. So until the NHL figures this out, whatever rules you <laughs> kind of go by growing up, they all go out the window when you get to the NHL, if there's fighting and, and they don't protect the players. Um, like at the end of the day, it, it's just, it isn't worth it. You know, I was never told as a kid, I expect I've got all the broken bones, I've got the stitches in my face. I expected all that. Nobody told me about brain injuries, and, and nobody told me I wouldn't be able to read for for the headaches that I get, you know, halfway during my career and just, Stuff like that, it just does not, you know, they don't prepare you for that part of it. And once you get to that part, they leave you hanging. And I think the guys have a right to know um, going into the league, they have a right for better health. And as a, as a whole, the game just has to change. We're talking to uh, 2010 NHL Stanley Cup champion and author of a tremendous piece on the Players' Tribune, Nick Boynton, about that piece. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, two things. You take a look at what your role was, okay, and then you take a look at the yep. salary cap. And for a while, we thought that the quote-unquote enforcer or that type of player was kind of not legislated out of the game, but salary capped out of the game because they yep. weren't going to spend that amount of money on, on that. But Here's the other thing. You know, you also felt that with, you know, the equipment change, that helmets were mandatory, you would definitely see a decrease in the amount of concussions. But now, because players are wearing helmets at, at such an early age in all these organized sports, people think nothing of that high hit, where maybe back in the day when they didn't have the helmet, there was that, that unwritten code that you never went above the shoulders. Why right. do you think that headshot has become... Not acceptable, but you see it more and more now. You see that cheap shot more and more these days. I, I just, I don't know. Um, you know, I've watched college hockey before, back when I was living in Boston and playing there. Watched the bean pot. That's some of the dirtiest hockey yeah. I've ever seen. You know, guys with full cages on running around with elbows. I, I mean, it, it, you're right. It, it's got to change. I, I don't know if it's guys respecting guys. You know, out there. It's an interesting question because, you know, you, you just from the time you're a kid, you know, anything to win. I think all of us, you do anything to win, you know. But when you're, when you're faced with that choice and you're, you're lucky enough to play a, a professional sport, you, you end up doing it. You just go along with what your coaches, what the bosses are telling you, and you, and you really don't think about it. And it, it's just wrong in so many ways. We see so many football players struggling, so many ex-hockey players struggling. And again, that's why I want to tell my story is just so guys know they're not alone and this is what's going on. You know, it's interesting because, and it's gut-wrenching, because I'd say probably about two or three months ago we had Kevin Stevens on, and he talked yep. about that horrific injury that he had, which, you know, changed his life and changed yep. his internal makeup. And you write in here that you had eight or ten confirmed concussions when you played in the NHL. You said you know, who knows how many others you had simply that you played through. You feel you actually had more like 20 or 30 of them altogether. You might even, that might even be a low number. But at that point, you honestly didn't even 
didn't care. You said you were gone, straight up. I didn't feel anything. I was a dead man skating. My last few seasons, I was out there basically just flat out killing myself for a paycheck. At one point during your career, you were taking so many painkillers and other drugs on a daily basis that you started not even to be able to recognize the person you'd become. Trainers always had the painkillers, so you took them. Often, you know, things would escalate, and you would get as many as you wanted, and if you couldn't, you would buy them from people on the street just more and more. At what point did you realize that, wow, this is just out of control, this is not me? When did you realize you had that issue? Yeah, uh, it was pretty early on. You know, I was 25 years old, probably, sort of in the middle of my career. But I can't say the trainers just gave them out, you know what I mean, tons at a time either. That's where I started. They gave them out, you know, a certain amount. And then, you know, once they cut you off, that's when you go to the street. But it definitely wasn't a free-for-all as far as some of my trainers giving me out painkillers. But that's where it all starts, you know. And then guys need more and our line of work it just is what it is you need to do what you think you got to do uh to get it there on the ice and it just escalates from there that you know that's where it, it got that part really got me because then you mentioned that once you knew you had the problem was, you yeah. got your courage up and you got your i can't say it on radio your s together yep. and yep. found a way yep. to sell some people with the team you were playing for that you had a problem it took yep. everything you had to do that, and the response you received when you spoke to them was very uplifting. Everyone you talked to was understanding. Every single person said they were there for you, then. and then they wanted to get you yeah. help. You needed, but then something else happened less than a month later. Can you fill our audience in what happened a month later and what that, you know, how did that impact you going forward? Yeah, I, well, yeah, but a month later I was, you know, traded across the country, but as far as away as I could go, but... It was. It wasn't so much that that happened. I mean, guys get traded. I can't tell you that that's exactly what went on, but it affected me in a very, very bad, negative way, and and it's affected me, you know, ever since then. It's hard enough in this game where you got to be. You're supposed to be macho and tough, and and when you finally open up and you do ask for a little bit of help, and then you get denied, it's it's tough to come back from, and it sent me on you know, on to struggle sort of for a long time. And, and I wish I had it been stronger, and I wish, wish that wasn't the case. But unfortunately, it, it, you know, from that point on in my career, it was just not good. Um, but you know what? I, it is what it is. I try to use it as strength now instead of a negative thing. But it, those things happen. And it might have seemed like nothing to somebody at the time, but it was, you know, a very important part of my life, I guess. So all the more unusual then, Mark and I were talking about this earlier today, is when you finally get to the, the Flyers and yeah. you hit another point, and finally you've got somebody, a general manager, actually helps you and does seems to have yeah. the right yes. attitude. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, no, it was just, uh, you know, the end of my career, it was a bad night, and, you know, and some bad stuff happened. And, um, you know, I, I honestly thought I was going to die. That's sort of where where I was at with the way I was feeling. And, um, you know, Paul Holmgren of the Flyers, he gave me a choice. He, you know, he said, you can tell me this is a one-time thing or you can tell me you got a problem. And he sort of, you know, helped me out. He gave me that out. He gave me that choice. And I, I told him I had a problem. And, and, you know, that was the end of my career, but that was the start of trying to get better. Hey, Nick, so this is Ryan Sherman. Okay, um, so deep breath, because I haven't shared this with you guys, but this article I really, like, relate to. I've struggled with, you know, anxiety and depression. Yeah. Uh, 
when you said, you know, when everyone's asking you, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? And you say yes, but you weren't. I, I felt that and I've been there. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to thank you for writing this article and sharing because I think that there's such a stigma with mental health and it's hard to talk about. It's hard for me to talk about. It might be hard yeah. for you to talk about. And with this platform, you know, I think some people go on the Players' Tribune and they're, you know, they're breaking free agency news. But you were able to use this to, you know, start this conversation and, you know, we can talk about all the differences in hockey and how we need to make it safer. But really, this is a mental health issue. And, you know, just thank you for sharing. And um, I think, it's, you know, it's just really important. Well, I appreciate that, and that's exactly the thing. You know, we're, we're all different, but it is a mental health issue, and it's, it's a big one, and something's got to change. I really appreciate that. You know, Nick, AJ and I are currently writing a book about fathers and sons in baseball, and we've spoken to a lot of fathers and sons who've played Major League Baseball and the pride that comes through when they talk about their shared experiences as Major League Baseball players. Your three-year-old son, Russell, loves hockey, loves watching it, loves talking about it, loves taking the mini stick out and, and whacking away at some pucks the way you, you put it. Uh, he wants to be like you. What will you yeah. tell him when he wants to start playing organized hockey if, if changes aren't made? Um, it's going to be a tough, <laughs> you know, a, a tough conversation. I grew up playing hockey with my dad. Uh, I was, you know, he coached me when I was real little. I was you know, some of the most fun I've had in hockey. Um, at the end of the day, what I've come to learn is it's just a game, right? These are children's games. I'm fortunate I got to play it as an adult. But there's, uh, you know, there's other games out there that are much safer for my son. And, and that'll be the thing. If he's not going to be taken care of, you know, in, in this, in the right way, the way he should be, the way, you know, hockey players need to be taken care of, the way athletes in physical sports they need better treatments. They need to know what's going on in their brain. Um, he can play golf, but you know, baseball. I love both those sports too, and and we can make different memories playing a different sport growing up. You know, you detail the living hell you went through, uh, but now you seem to have hope as you've linked up with your good friend Dan Carcillo, who got you enrolled into a program at the Plasticity Brain Center down in Orlando. What have you found out about the cause of depression, anxiety, mental health issues that you've been dealing with after hockey while working with the doctors at the center? Yeah, it, it was amazing. I, I really didn't know what to expect. And, you know, I, I sort of come from the school of thought that, you know, you got to be medicated, right? That's, you got a problem, take a pill. That's how they treat you. And getting there, just, you know, tracking my eye movement, my eye, my one eye wasn't moving as, as quickly as my left eye, and it was causing tiredness and headaches and, and just little things like that that they were able to help correct. That, that seem little, but, you know, I'm able to read <laughs> for five, ten minutes now without getting headaches, and it's just refreshing to do something like that again, and it does give you hope. Um, but, it, you know, treatment's expensive, and and it's still, you know, it, it's not like it's talked about. So it, it's got to be, guys got to get there. The hardest thing for me, honestly, in all of this was getting the treatment. Now that I've gotten there, you know, it's up to me to, to help Dan and, and sort of spread the word to people that are suffering that, you know, there is some relief out there and it doesn't have to be, <laughs> doesn't have to be um, you know, opiates. 
this will be an ongoing story. As this past Thursday, you and former teammate Don Casillo through the Chicago law firm uh, Corbray and Dematro filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Minnesota claiming the NHL is a league of denial and that they didn't give players proper information about concussions and the long-term effects of repeated blows to the head. Plus, you know, Dan had a very moving video piece on the Players' Tribune as yep. well as your article. We really appreciate you coming on, take, talking about this important issue. I was so moved by the article and really hope that it drives the conversation that the league does right by its players, which I have maintained for many years now. It may be the best collective group of people you'll ever find, the players in the NHL. So you are welcome to come here anytime throughout this process to talk about this topic, how we can improve on the safety and education of players and the effects of head injuries on their lives. Uh, do me a favor, please say hi to Dan for me. Uh, it was a pleasure to cover yeah. him when he was here in New York. And, um, you know, really, um, we applaud you for the work you're doing right now. Well, th- thank you, and thank you so much for having me on. I mean, the only way to, you know, spread the word is is through people like you have me on to, to talk about it. So thank you so much. Our pleasure, Nick. Thanks so much. Nick Boynton, former NHL player. If you have not read the Players' uh, Tribune article, please take a moment to read it.